Oh, man, the nightmare is over. Jeremy, he's back. Randall J. Sanders back on the podcast tonight. We got a full crew. Cubs are playing spring training games. So much to get to tonight. This is number 61 of Behind the Yellow Line. Jeremy, good to see you. Randall, we missed you. Jeremy and I got hate mail because you weren't on the pod last week. So good to see you this evening. I'm ready to talk some Cubs baseball with you. I'm ready to talk some Cubs baseball with you too. But if that one tweet directed, not even directed at you two saying that I was missed as hate mail, boy, I got, I got some updates for you. Well, we got lots of love for Stan. We appreciate it. He's been a loyal listener since back at the beginning. Uh, and I love the fact that he one didn't like the fact that Randall was not here last week. And two did not like the Jeremy and I were kind of uh, difficult to people who don't like the NCAA tournament. But it was an awesome weekend of basketball. I felt, honestly, I felt hungover Monday, and it wasn't from drinking. It was just 50 hours of college basketball or whatever I watched this weekend. I was exhausted getting into work, but that kind of ties into what I wanted to get to here. Um, we are recording a little early this week because I'm heading home, back to Chicago. So this time tomorrow or Thursday, the three of us have a couple of whiskeys, talk some Cubs baseball in person, but we wanted to get the show going here tonight again number 61 lots to get to a little bit more on Suzuki the newest Cub at right fielder the Cubs have made a number of moves primarily picking up these one-year deals for pitchers we'll shed some thoughts there and then a hot topic right now the backstop for the Cubs Wilson Contreras a lot of uh, sort of anxious comments right now about his future with the Cubs they do not get to a deal here so arbitration meeting coming between the cubs and their longtime backstop but we'll give our thoughts on whether or not we think he's sticking around or whether he's going and this is number 61 so a number that's been worn by seven cubs players or coaches we'll wrap up with that but uh, again good to see you guys tonight i'll tell you i had a very satisfying moment this afternoon I'm on my uh, spring break from teaching so it's nice getting a little breather there but the full-time job that feeling in the afternoon when you set the out of office and the email is shut down for four, five, six days here. That's a good feeling. And the only way to sort of top that is you walk half a mile, you get some tacos. So I've had a good afternoon, and that has me feeling like talking Cubs baseball tonight. Yeah, I, to me, I'd be watching Cubs baseball. I, I would think top it, but uh, getting some tacos would be pretty good. Randall knows all about, you know, that out of office. You know, you, you, uh, you're always, you know, trying to get out of the office, it seems like. I know nothing about that out of office feeling. It, it is completely foreign to me. Do do go do go on. What does that feel like? Oh, it feels so nice when you set that email set up that it's like, yep, nobody can call you, nobody can email you, not bringing the work laptop. But I'm ready to get back to Chicago. Frankly, guys, I'm looking forward to uh, getting over to the landmark or one of our spots and having this conversation in person. It's been too long since we've had a chance to do that. So we'll keep things clean here tonight for the podcast. All bets are off when we meet in 24 hours or so. And I'm sure many of the same things will be discussed over the next couple of days. But the Cubs are playing baseball. That is good. Um, Cubs also releasing a little bit more information or journalists doing their job, telling us a little bit more about the acquisition of star Japanese outfielder Seiya Suzuki, who is certainly the pinnacle of this Cubs offseason, along with Marcus Stroman in the starting rotation. Randall, you're a numbers guy. We were wondering, would he wear number one? Would he wear number uh, 51? Would he wear 99? What number was he going? 27. Good, bad, what do you think? 27 for Suzuki. I like 27. He's got a real good reason for picking it. He's a, a big Mike Trout fan. I'm sure we've all seen the video at this point. Uh, Suzuki looking into the nearby camera at his press conference and intoning, Mike Trout, I love you. Uh, he got a real good reason for picking it, and we haven't had a, a good 27 on this team in a while. So hopefully Suzuki can uh, can bring some honor to that number. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So got a good reason for picking it. I, I can dig it. The last 27, uh, Addison Russell, bring some honor back, just like Russell did with those big postseason in 2016. Okay, you can you can phrase it that way if you want. Although the last 27 was Jason Kipnis, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, being, right. being the Glenview Northbrook individual that you are and having personal experience with Jason Kipnis, I'm shocked, shocked that that did not come to mind for you. But no, I only uh, rem I remember the uh, postseason heroes like Aston Russell. Well, Jeremy and I spent a lot of time last week talking about Suzuki. We're both excited. 
Randall, you were not with us at the recording last week, but you know we we know that you're feeling good about this. Um, something else that sort of caught your attention or has driven your interest in the last week has been what the Cubs had to do to get him. We knew that other teams were interested. We know the Cubs are not necessarily contenders right now, so maybe it was a bigger uphill battle. What stood out to you about the hunt, so to speak, for Suzuki that you think is pretty cool? Well, Ronan, we've had three of the writers, uh, that being uh, Maddie Lee, Jordan Bastian, and Megan Montemoro for their various publications and websites. They've all recounted basically the same process. And just to give a short summary, the Cubs respected his patience. They didn't make him an offer before the lockout. They did stay in touch as soon as the lockout ended. They went through the process of meeting him face-to-face at a, a restaurant in LA. They made the pitch and they were able to come to an agreement with him basically that night. But what really struck me is the fact that Seiya Suzuki, and understandably moving to a new, not just a new city, a a new country, a new everything, he wanted to see the city that he would potentially be calling home for what we hope is the next five years and beyond. So he took the opportunity to fly to Chicago for a day. Fortunately, he did so on a, a day where the weather was very hospitable here. Uh, and he, he, you know, got a chance to walk around the city a bit. His agent helped him look for places to live. Uh, he, he saw Wrigley and the Cubs rolled out the red carpet for him, the video board. They hung up a jersey for him. And I just thought that I think it's neat that uh, one of the things that stuck out to me, it sounded like San Diego was the Cubs primary competition in this particular race. And we know San Diego offers year-round fantastic weather. The Padres are able to offer a great roster with a lot of talent upcoming. They're able to offer you Darvish as a, a fellow former uh, NPB player, as a teammate. They're able to offer all of that. And all it took was Seiya Suzuki setting foot in Wrigley and going, you know what, this works. I think I'll I think I'll set up shop here. So that's what stood out to me is that not only did he want to see Wrigley in Chicago, but that Wrigley and Chicago did a, a hell of a sales job to him. And the other thing that stuck out to me in this process is that uh, Jed actually had charts ready comparing the weather between Hiroshima, his the city in which he played in Japan and Chicago, and Chicago and San Diego. And we know what April and sometimes May and sometimes parts of June and September and October in Chicago can be like. Those are the three months of summer we get in Chicago. They held their own against San Diego's year-round climate. So those are the two things that stuck out to me is that the weather was not a sticking point, as uh, Nick Madrigal suggested in his drawings, and that, uh, that Suzuki wanted to see the city and wanted to see the ballpark. And that always strikes me as pretty neat. You think they took him to Barnaby's? You know, I think they absolutely took him to Barnaby's. I think his agent, Joel Wolf, put him in the back of an SUV, drove him uh, up to Northbrook, right up 94, got off right there at Dundee and said, you know, we'll take one pizza with the cornmeal crust. And we know that's what sealed the deal. Yeah. Fun, though, to kind of hear the story or learn a little bit more about what goes into these hunts for players. I mean, it's one thing for American players who've been here and are used to playing in these ballparks and know what it's like. You bring up a great point, Randall. This guy's moving halfway across the world. He's bringing his family around the world here to make this so. So you want him to get buy into the city. And one thing that we all know, Chicago's a world-class city, a great place for an international star like this. And it's so cool that they were able to make it happen. And this guy's going to be a cornerstone at Rigby Field the next couple of years. And yeah, uh, and something else is that there are members of the Japanese sports media who are now entrenched with the Cubs uh, following Suzuki as he prepares for his Cactus League debut and all that. That strikes me as pretty neat, too, that the Cubs have done something that is resonating in a a completely different country halfway across the world. We remember the, the media frenzy when Daisuke Matsuzaka came over and signed with the Red Sox. I don't think this is quite that, but it's still neat to see reporters from a completely different country who are following say a Suzuki and you know they're they're taking video and pictures at Sloan Park there in Mesa and transmitting them back to the the media market in Japan and that's cool the Cubs have done something that is resonating halfway across the world and something good for a change yeah I, I, yeah we talked about it last week with Seiya coming over you know hopefully he he can provide you know a stabilizing presence in the, in the outfield for the Cubs for the next few years when they're hopefully going to compete. But uh, as Randall mentioned, I, I thought that uh, maybe Nick Madrigal did deserve all the credit with those drawings. They were pretty good drawings. And uh, Tom, what about Tom Ricketts? Uh, they went yeah. down there at a, at a, I had tried to have a more for, uh, informal, excuse me, uh, dinner to discuss at a Japanese restaurant in uh, LA to discuss the, the, uh, 
you know, possibility of say uh, coming to Chicago as opposed to something formal, a presentation, the whole thing. And it seems like uh, say was pretty impressed by Tom Ricketts and that all got done. So, you know, it's nice to see them out there really trying to make an effort to bring talent to the team. Enough so that Suzuki and his representation canceled the scheduled meetings with other teams. The Cubs got their pitch in personally and first, and that was, that was it. That was all she wrote. Yeah. You know, it, it got me thinking a little bit, too, about how fun it's going to be just to have more uh, Japanese fans out at Wrigley Field. There's going to be an entire generation of Japanese baseball fans that are going to be glued into Wrigley Field in a way that they maybe haven't been before. You think of some of the great Japanese players in recent years going over to American League teams and having a lot of success over there. So Wrigley Field's going to get a lot of attention. Back when Kosuke was a Cub, you'd see Japanese flags at Wrigley Field. That was awesome. Even when Sammy was doing his thing, you'd see the Dominican flags at the ballpark. I love that stuff. I love when different fans from different cultures come out to Wrigley Field and we can all celebrate that together. That's going to be a real redeeming quality the next couple of years at Wrigley Field. Absolutely. And you mentioned Kosuke. And to, to my fellow Cub fans listening to this, let's do a better job with Seiya Suzuki than we did with Kosuke Fukudome, please. I'm not going to name any. I'm not going to name any specific examples. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. Let's let's do a better job this time around, please. Cubs had a lot of Japanese players. I, I counted the other day. It was like something like this will be the ninth one. So you know, you Darvish was wasn't too long ago that he was here. Yeah. And uh, under under Theo and I guess now Jed, they brought in a lot of Japanese guys. Totally. That's fun seeing young hitters coming over from yeah. Japan and hopefully thrusting themselves into the Cubs lineup. You can just sort of envision that first bomb he hits out on the Waveland, the first walk-off, what incredible celebrations there are going to be. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm nervous about this Cubs team. We're going to get into that here in a minute. But this is something to celebrate. This is certainly one of the high points of the offseason. And when you sign a guy right now to a five-year deal, you're talking about somebody who you anticipate is going to be around when these teams get really good again. So whether or not we think this team will be competitive this year, I think we're all in agreement. 2023, 2024, different ballgame on the north side. He'll have some major league experience. He'll have been through it. Maybe he'll have a losing season to know what that feels like in the majors before being a part of a winner. This is going to be must-see baseball. And even if this is a bad season, there's going to be some incredible moments with this guy. Defensive plays, like I said, walk-off hits that we're going to look back on very fondly, like we look back on Javier Baez's first home run or Chris Bryant's first bang or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I agreed. I, I think he's going to be a very fun player. And, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of the guys I previously mentioned were pitchers. This is the, really the first Japanese uh, position player the Cubs have had uh, since Kosuke. I mean, I mean you count Munanori Kawasaki, but I don't know if that really counts. But uh, well, of course, you know, of course, Munanori Kawasaki counts. Come on, I, let's, let's let's not let's not erase Munanori played. Kawasaki. Um, so I. I you know, yeah, as Jed said, it's a long-term thing. You know, it's a five-year contract. Cubs aren't re weren't really into, you know, bringing. They wanted to bring in pieces for the long-term, uh, either for the long-term or the very short-term in terms of, like, flipping them. So, uh, you know, hopefully Suzuki can prove that he's that long-term piece. And I, I think he's going to be a pretty good player. I uh, Hopefully the power translates, as I said last week, and then he, he, and he ends up being a really, uh, like, a really good player. Well, we're all feeling good. We're feeling optimistic. We're excited about Suzuki. Let's change gears here for a minute. Something that I'm very worried about. Cubs veteran backstop, Wilson Contreras. He's going to turn 30 this season. He's in his last year before free agency. Does not agree to terms with the Cubs on a contract here, so they're going to fight it out in arbitration. Something that Jim Hendry never would have allowed. But here we are, Jed. We're going to arbitration with Wilson. Brings up a bigger question, though. Like, is Wilson Contreras part of the plan? Or is he not going to be a Cub? And is this something that potentially could happen soon? So here we are, March 22nd, a lot can change. Jeremy, what do you think about the future of Wilson Contreras in the north side? Uh, it's, it's, as I'm going to be a little, I don't really know what to think. It's kind of tough for me. Uh, you know, I don't think anything's going to happen soon because I think it's a little difficult, you know, without Wilson having, you know, a contract number so that other teams, you know, who's going to want to trade for that. It's kind of nebulous. They're not go through the whole arbitration process if it ends up being that, but I, I don't know. It's tough because there was the lockout. You got to remember there was the lockout teams couldn't talk to players and, and spring training is usually February is usually the time when like extensions get done because most of the off season happens in December and January. And so now the focus has really been on the off season, bringing in talent. So it's tough to discuss like 
So I don't know. I it's I don't it will the other players before Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, they didn't want to talk during the season. So I guess it's up to Wilson to talk. Like they could still come to a deal. It's up till the arbitration date that they, you know, come and make a contract. So um it's hard to see. I just hope that they continue talking through. I mean, Hendricks and Bodie both got their extensions done on opening day that year. I believe 2019 it was. Um, so it's not like a done deal. This means nothing. So we'll, we'll just have to see, I think. Yeah, it's 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 a little difficult to be optimistic. It doesn't sound like there's any, I don't want to say bad blood, but it doesn't sound like there's any love lost between the two sides at this point. Uh, unable to come to a deal prior to an arbitration hearing. I do agree with Jeremy. I don't think they're going to get a deal of this magnitude done before opening day. You can argue all you want what Wilson's value on the trade well, market. I was talking about trade. I know. I, that's oh. what I'm saying. What oh, I'm okay. Saying. I thought you were talking about Sorry, it sounds like you're talking yeah, about. No, contract. I agree with I agree with you. I don't think they're going to get a trade done by opening Sorry. day. Uh, I, I think a trade like that would take. It, it's not going to come together right now. I do think that if this team is out of it, probably when this team is out of it at the deadline, I think he probably goes. Like, sadly, many of his former World Series teammates did a year ago. I would love for them to extend him. Surprise extension by opening day. I would love for that, but it seems like that's increasingly unlikely. So I tend to agree that he's potentially gone by the deadline, depending on how the season goes. Randall, you know, what's making me sweat a little bit here. And it's not just those delicious beef tacos that I had about an hour ago. Uh, it's all the smoke around this right now. We get the story that Wilson is preparing to move on. Then you get a story either today or yesterday that apparently Wilson went to Amaya and said, Hey, be prepared to take over as the next Cubs catcher or the backstop of the future for the Cubs. I don't like any of that stuff. Not and a bit are trying to get their clicks and put their stories together, but it feels like we're being prepared for the inevitable here. Wilson's going to be traded. It yeah, does feel I, like no, we're sorry. being, it does feel like we're being groomed for that. I don't want to get into that emotionally until, you know, it gets to the point where we actually happen. But again, you, you've got him in the, the last year of his contract. It doesn't sound like an extension is going to get done. And you've got a team that, you know, it's better than even odds is going to be out of it at the deadline. And for the really good returns they got for some really good players last year, uh, a catcher with Wilson's abilities yeah. and skill set, that's, that's going to net you something if you put that on the market. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start that emotional labor until I absolutely have to. Um, but it, I'm increasingly, I'm increasingly pessimistic as to what Wilson's future with the Cubs holds. I just, I just go back to, you know, I, those stories about him taking Amaya out to dinner. I, I, to be honest, I kind of find that a little weird, especially since Amaya is going to miss the whole season this year, you know, and with Tommy Johnson, hasn't really played. Is a Miguel Amaya really the, uh, catcher of the future? I don't, I don't even know if the Cubs think that, um, but uh, I don't know. It's just there's just so much in flux. Obviously, not having an extension done by this time and once you get to the season makes it probably harder and more unlikely for it to get done. It's just to me, I just go back to the fact that this lockout was just crazy. Like they can't it's hard for them to get all that done, especially when, you know, there was a whole big thing. Like when they first reported camp, well, the Cubs haven't really I we haven't had extension talks. Well, I was like. Of course, you haven't had extension talks. You've been in a lockout the whole time. And the Cubs have been focused on, you know, trying to get Suzuki, trying to get a bunch of other players. Like, I'm sorry, but this is probably going to be on the back burner because it's something that they can come back to later. So I don't know. I, I, I expect if the Cubs aren't in it and he doesn't have a contract, he would be traded in July because uh, I expect there would be suitors. But, you know, hopefully Wilson has a monster season and, and hopefully for both the Cubs are good. And if they need be, then they could get something good for him. You're getting into something, Jeremy. I'm curious uh, how both of you feel. If you do trade Wilson, the goal for the Cubs is to maximize the return. You want to get the most value you can for somebody like that. Do you think that most value is in July? Would it be more valuable to move him now early on in the season? Where do you think that magic number lies in terms of getting the most back for him? In a vacuum, trading him now would certainly net you the most value because not to state the obvious, a team gets a full season of him. But the thing is, again, a trade like this, you're, it's not going to come together quickly. It's going to be uh, the end result of the Cubs scouting a lot, of, a, a lot of minor leaguers and pinpointing what they want back in a return. And I just don't think, and as Jeremy said, they're, the two sides are going to arbitration. Wilson doesn't even know how much he's going to make this year. I think in the time remaining until opening day, you're not going to get all of that done, um, especially because you're going off of last year's scouting reports on, on minor leaguers. You'd probably want to get 
a couple months of their season in front of your scouts before deciding to target them in trade. So, I mean, in a vacuum, he gets the most, you get the most value for him right now, but I don't think that's particularly feasible trading a player of that nature with the, the two weeks or so remaining until opening day. I well, for me personally, uh, I, I actually think probably mid season, you probably get the most bad for him because I think teams have a tendency to pay they, exorbitant prices at the trade deadline. Um, I, I don't think he would be trading now because, as I mentioned before, and as Randall mentioned, I think not having a contract number is a real big factor. I don't think teams really, you know, they have their budget set. They don't want to, they're figuring out their own arbitration deals. I, I don't, I think they want to know um, what the number would be, but I, I don't really think there would be like, it's right before opening day. I don't, I don't, I don't think like now is really would be a huge, you would get a lot back. You wouldn't, if everything was normal, I, I don't think you would. I think, I think when you get to the mid season, who's in the running, who's not in the running, there's a tendency for, uh, you know, somebody's going to make that move to try to get, you know, cause they want to win. And if it was like October or excuse me, if it was like November, December, I think, yeah, it'd probably be better trade then. But now versus July, I think July would be the better time. Randall, how are you going to feel when Anthony Rizzo and Wilson Contreras are Yankees and a pennant races fall? Um, I will curse the name of the Yankees even more than I already do. False pinstripe wearing idols. That's what they are. Well, one other thing that you got to think about with the Cubs catcher situation is the veteran, Jan Gomes. They brought in on a multi-year deal, been in the league for a long time. So a little bit more stability maybe behind Wilson than what we've seen in recent seasons. Still, I think I speak for all of us when I say the preference is he sticks around. He's a part of this next big rebuild, but we don't know. And it certainly is sort of a pessimistic thing right now. Lots of rumors and hot air, Randall, about him moving on. We will see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, something I do want to talk about here, there have been a number of transactions the Cubs have made. We have seen position players signed since the last time we recorded. We've seen a whole bevy of relief pitchers. And Randall, the player that I want to start with here is Jonathan VR. He is a 30-year-old switch hitter. He's been in the league for a long time, most recently with the Mets. We've seen him at third base. He's done some middle infield. He's dabbled. Randall in the outfield playing in the corner spots a bit too. So this is somebody who comes into the team on a one year, $6 million deal. And I'll admit it when the Cubs made this transaction, I said, that's it for Correa. Of course, a couple days later, Correa goes to the twins. What do we think here? Jonathan VR. This is a guy who we're probably going to see quite a bit of at third base this season. Yeah. I think he's a perfectly cromulent signing. Cromulent. cromulent. Yeah. Well, you went with dabble. I had to match you with cromulent. I don't think he's anything to, to to deride. I don't think he's anything to get excited about. You need warm bodies to play certain positions. VR is not terrible. He's not great. He's a guy you can slot in, like you said, at a couple different positions, and he's not going to embarrass himself. He doesn't have a whole lot of power. Um, he doesn't hit a whole lot. He's got some speed. He's, again, he's perfectly acceptable. You need warm bodies on the infield, and he is, if nothing else, a perfectly acceptable warm body. So he, I don't know that he's anything to get worked up about either way. Are you feeling good about infield depth? We've got Nico, we've got Madrigal, Simmons is in, you got Wisdom, Schwindel, VR. The infield's at least starting to take shape for us. Yeah, I mean, depth in numbers, you at least have two infielders at every position. As far as the quality of those infielders, I don't know um, how high that goes. But yeah, again, you've got you've got the warm bodies to play the infield and you've got some some kind of quadruple A guys, guys who can fill in at Iowa ready to come up if need be. So the infield, again, it's not great, but you've got you've got people there and you've got people there with some modicum of skill. Jeremy dropped out on us, uh, dropped out worse than the Illini. Wow, well, offense. Hold up, hold up. I just the camera dropped out. I've been here the whole time. Wow. You, you mentioned the Illini. <laughs> and he comes right back. Well, he comes yeah. roaring back in here. Oh, I've been listening. We got some thoughts in the Illini. We'll get to at the end of the show here. But where are you at with VR? I'm, 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 uh, I, you know, with VR, I, I like VR. I think he's going to be uh, a platoon uh, player with wisdom. That's how I see him. I think he's mostly going to be, um, you know, he's he hit from the left side. I, and I think he could be a solid, you know, he might get some middle infield reps. The Cubs obviously have a lot of middle infield guys with Simmons and Horner and Madrigal. Um, but, uh, I, I just see, I see him as platooning 
with wisdom. Maybe wisdom falters. He plays well. He takes over. And who knows, at July, he could be another flippable guy. I, I think that's just how I see it. But I like the signing. I like VR. He's pretty cheap. So I think he probably outproduces that contract. We know that David Bodie's hurt, and there's no necessarily uh, imminent return here for him back in the lineup. So I think it was critical that they got a little bit more help at third base. I'm worried about Patrick Wisdom regressing here in 2022. I think the two corner infield guys, Schwindel and Wisdom, I'm more worried about Wisdom sort of coming back down to earth than what Frank's going to do over at first. So you go out, you get a guy, he's got some power, switch hitter, can play multiple positions. It's some depth here. And I think that's something that's needed with injuries on the infield and with some question marks at first and third. Yeah, we know Wisdom had a lot of holes in that swing last year. Uh, he still managed to produce pretty well despite that. But, you know, the, the book is out on him now. I hate to use the cliche, but the league knows how you can get through Patrick Wisdom without having to do too much damage for you. And now they have they've, they've had an entire spring training to kind of go over that scouting report and determine how to attack Patrick wisdom. So I agree with you. I think he's got a higher ceiling as far as offensive productivity compared to Schwindel, but I think he also has a much lower floor because you could potentially be looking at a guy who isn't hitting for power anymore because he can't make contact. Is it- I, oh, sorry. I was going to just comment on Patrick wisdom again, but uh I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of wisdom. I, he's got the power, but I, I'm just afraid of the strikeouts, you know, the, totally. the missing the swing and miss, but I'm surprisingly good defender that impressed me last year. He's got the dance moves. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, looks good out there too. Getting things done for the Cubs. VR has been around a long time. First season in baseball, 2013 with the Houston Astros. He's played from Milwaukee, Baltimore, the Mets, Miami, Toronto. How about quick in the moment trivia? Let's see how well you guys know, Jonathan VR. In one season, he led Major League Baseball in one offensive category. And I should say the National League. It was when he was with the Brewers. What was the offensive category that he led the league in back in 2016? Was it triples? It was not. He had three triples that year, but it was All not right. triples. Jeremy, any idea what offensive category? He Hit led by the pitches. No, stolen bases. Stolen bases. Two stolen bases in 80 tries. <laughs> back in 2016 when he was 25 years old. So something we didn't know about Jonathan VR. Uh, between Jonathan VR, Eric Sogard, Hernan Perez, I'm a little worried which former middling Brewers infielder the Cubs might go after next. That's, that's not a list I want to look up lest I see some of the names on that list. Orlando Arcia, Randall. No, oh, God, I told you I didn't want to know. <laughs> Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Uh, Cubs have also made a number of moves pitching-wise. Old buddy Drew Smiley, he's back in town. A couple of other relief pitchers on one-year deals or minor league deals. Of the half dozen or so transactions, Jeremy, the Cubs have made in the last week, focusing on pitching, which one has your attention or which one do we need to know a little bit more about? Uh, Honestly, I kind of like the Drew Smiley one. I mean, I know he struggled last year. He was pretty good in – uh, I would say 2020, he 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 pitched pretty well, um, but I like I, I always kind of had I always kind of liked Drew Smiley back when he was on the Rays. He was traded for David Price. Um, I thought he was a good signing. I, I wanted him uh, when they the Tommy John. I, I liked him at that time, and you know they had to trade him for I don't know if it was self imposed or whatever reasonings that they couldn't afford Cole Hamels and make any moves, but they traded him in 20, before 2019, um, but. I, I, or excuse me, before 2020, I think, uh, or uh, 2019. But I, I always kind of like Drew Smiley. I, I think working with the uh, the pitch lab and, and Tommy Hadovy and Craig Breslow, um, they could find something there. And so I'm just hopeful that he gets a shot in the rotation and he proves it. And I, I like Drew Smiley. I like the Smiley thing. Yeah. He, you know, Cubs basically paid him to rehab. He was on. He was with them and he was on the, what was then the 60 day. I don't know if it was DL or IL at that point, but they were basically paying him to rehab after that Tommy John surgery. Um, and I guess it, I guess it all comes full circle because now he's back and hopefully they are not paying him to rehab um, anymore. I'm very worried about the starting rotation. So if you're getting some guys in the mix that may help out, that's good. What worries me about the Cubs going into the year here is you've got very little room for error in terms of starting pitching. Who's Kyle Hendricks in 2022? We're excited about Marcus Stroman, 
But there's a lot of question marks once you get past that point on who's going to eat up innings in the rotation. So I like where you're going at there, Jeremy, with Smiley. Uh, what about the relievers that they've gotten on all reasonable, cheap deals? Randall, is there a relief pitcher that you're going, hmm, this guy can make a difference in the bullpen? Yeah, you know, I don't mind them picking up Chris Martin for uh, a guy who's getting up there in years. He still throws pretty hard. He sits in 94-95, and we know that's something that the bullpen has not had a ton of his recent years in recent years is reliable velocity. So I don't mind them picking up. Um, I don't mind them picking up Chris Martin at all. And yeah, oh, I see you warming up Ronan. I see oh, yeah. it. I see it. I'm going to toss it right back to you. But noted, that is my name. Noted Coldplay fan. There we Randall go. J Sanders. There we go. Uh, so yeah, I don't mind them picking up Chris Martin at all. I think if this team, it does have any competitiveness in it, having a, a veteran guy who can still rush it up there a little bit is going to help. Uh, for me, per, actually, before I, I get into it, I, don't, I, don't, I think we might be a little remiss to mention that just going back a little bit, uh, the numbers came out for the Wilson Contreras arbitration, in case people are curious. Uh, Wilson Contreras filed for $10.25 million and the Cubs countered at $9 million. So it really doesn't seem like there's much difference in no. there. Like I feel like they can figure of, that out. It's the kind of thing they need to figure out. You can't yeah. let that. No. Um, Jim Hendry wouldn't have allowed it. So, But to get back to uh, – Relievers, I, I mentioned it last week. I still like it. I like, and maybe I'm just a sucker for old guys coming off Tommy John surgery. I guess Drew Smiley's not that old. But uh, David Robertson, you know, another guy who's now two years out from Tommy John surgery, pitched well in the Olympics, pitched pretty well in a limited time period for Tampa after the Olympics last year. Um, I, I like David Robertson. I like bringing him back to Chicago. Uh, he said his wife still has friends here. So it's part of the reason why they, he was okay with coming back. Um, and I, I just, I think he's a good arm to get, you know, put him in the back of the bullpen cups. Don't really have a, a true bona fide closer right now. Yeah. Maybe David Robertson can, can take that job. He's done it before. And, you know, come July, maybe he's another flippable piece. Yeah. And that's a big thing about a lot of the relief pitchers that they've signed here. Uh, opportunity to move them in July. If the team falls out of it, or if there's a chance to get some prospects back, it's something that they're going to be able to do with a lot of these, but they've had a lot of luck last couple of years turning around pitchers and it's going to be something to watch through spring training and into the start of the season. Uh, you know, Randall, I saw Coldplay one time in my life. And you're set for the rest of your life now, huh? Well, here's what happened. There was at Alpine Valley about 15 years ago. So big see time. Alpine. See you at Alpine. Yeah. See you at Alpine. Here's something that bothers me about Axe. And I, it happens at Alpine. It happens at Red Rocks here in Denver. If in my opinion, the performer, doesn't put a little cherry on top because of the venue. Alpine, Madison Square Garden, the Gorge, Red Rocks. You got to do something a little bit different there. If you play the same show you play everywhere else, you'll lose me. It was the same damn show they played every single night of the tour. You don't step up for, at the time, biggest attendance they ever played at in North America. You don't do that, you don't get my ticket again. So that's what happened with Chris Martin. I hope he pitches well. In relief for the Cubs here this season. I hope he apologizes to you for that for that gaffe the first time you see him pitch live. But it's a good point. You know, you, you play a show at Red Rocks and you play the same set as you would at the Salt Shed, the new venue here in Chicago. Nonsense. You got to step up, throw a little extra thing in the encore, give the hardcore fans a bone, or you don't get my ticket next time through. Uh, Randall, you're a numbers guy. You got numbers on some of the new Cubs acquisitions. I do indeed. You can't say the Cubs haven't added uh, quantity this offseason. Quality is certainly a reasonable debate, but they have added more than a few new names this offseason. And with those new names come new numbers. We, of course, know Marcus Stroman is wearing number zero. Very unique. He is the first wearer in team history. Nick Madrigal takes uniform number one. Jan Gomes takes number seven, a good catcher's number. Jeremy's guy, Drew Smiley, is in number 11. And there's a fun factoid about that that I will get to at the end of this list. And Drelton Simmons, likely going to see a lot of time in the infield. He is number 19. He's actually the first Cubs player to wear 19 in uh, more than a few years. It's been a coach's number for the last little while. Wade Miley, the veteran starting pitcher, is in number 20. Jonathan VR on the infield is in number 24. We've already discussed Seiya Suzuki wearing number 27 for his idol, Mike Trout. David Robertson takes number 37. Harold Ramirez, who has yet to make it into Cubs camp, the outfielder, uh, he will eventually wear number 47, assuming he clears up his visa issues. Daniel Norris is wearing number 49, Jake Arrieta's number. Clearly most of the goodwill from that number got uh, wiped out the window. And so Daniel Norris saw it for the taking. The aforementioned Chris Martin is in number 58. And then finally, Clint Frazier, the outfielder, and maybe potentially DH now that there is one, 
He is in number 77. And circling back to Drew Smiley for a second, when the Cubs signed him, basically coming off Tommy John, he was originally rostered a number 33. That was in the offseason prior to the 2018 season. It, or I'm sorry, he was originally rostered a number 11, I beg your pardon. And again, that was in the offseason prior to the 2018 season. That February, the Cubs signed Hugh Darvish, uh, who, of course, is a career number 11. Smiley uh, shifted to number 33, even though he, of course, never wore that jersey in a Cubs unit, uh, that number in a Cubs uniform. Uh, and now he comes back to the Cubs and good old number 11 is open for him once again. So the, the fabric of Jersey numbers continues to be woven, but those are the numbers for the major league acquisitions. We are still waiting, of course, on Michael Givens, whose yeah. deal is not official. And then there's a couple of other interesting guys on minor league deals, but no point in getting into those until and unless they make your major league roster. You're always on the numbers, Randall. Uh, how about a plug for the Twitter account you run there with regards to numbers? Yes, of course. You can see most of my numbers-related work, both visually uh, and otherwise, at Numbers MLB, which I run with three very other uh, very capable individuals, Preston, Eric, and Timmy. Uh, so you can find that on Twitter and Instagram, at Numbers MLB. Very colorful, very informative, uh, a lot of work sometimes, especially this time of year, but it's always worth it. Randall, I always get excited when I see a national writer, or at least here in Denver, a local writer, retweet that account. And it's like, wow, it's like a Randall incident in my life. What's it, the six degrees Incept of Kevin Bacon? Yeah, six it? degrees of separation. Yeah, it's like six degrees of Randall. He just pops up in my feed. Uh, Rockies beat reporters tweeting Randall. I love I have, seeing that stuff. I have many degrees, Ronan. I, I, am, I am multiple degrees. Well, we've got a Twitter account. It's at BTYL Podcast, and we had a fun poll question out earlier today. Uh, as currently constructed, is this Cubs team roster closer to a 90-win team or a 90-loss team? And as of recording here tonight, 10% of the vote saying 90 wins. That's not good. 60% uh, saying 90 losses and 30% with the always solid dumb poll bro. So telling us, <laughs> what are you talking about here? Guys, we've got two and a half weeks of spring training. There's plenty of time for things to change. But here on March 22nd, Jeremy, is this team closer to 90 wins, 90 losses, or dumb question? Well, I, I, I did answer dumb question. I'm sorry. But uh, the reason I answered dumb question is because I feel like it's pretty obvious. I think it's closer to 90 losses. I don't really think there is a question. I, I think that this team, as presently constructed, you know, things can happen. Things can break the way they go in the season. Maybe somebody has amazing, you know, years go off. But if you're just looking at like the true talent level of the roster, it's like to me a mid seventy win team. So if it's a, I feel like it's a mid seventy win team. They're closer to ninety losses. Yeah, you know, my original thought was, well, maybe they are closer to to ninety wins. You know, maybe if, if they win. 78 games that's not too far off from 90 wins and then i did the math and realized 78 wins <laughs> is 84 losses which puts yeah. you closer to look math is hard all right Sh shut up anyway yeah i i tend to agree i think they are probably closer to eight, 90 losses but i think there's a lot of variance there i know we said this ahead of last year um we said it with a better roster at least just on opening day last year but there's a lot of variance and you know when you're that when you're that mid uh, you shift a few games in the other direction and suddenly you are even if on even if technically closer to 90 wins so I tend to think they are closer to 90 losses right now but you put together one surprisingly good month and maybe you end up on the more positive side of mediocre you're still mediocre but it proves all those naysayers in our poll wrong all 10 percent of them well you got 40 games this year against Pittsburgh and Cincinnati about a quarter of the schedule that should be a lot of wins now of course Milwaukee, St. Louis are going to benefit from all those games as well, but that still puts the Cubs in a pretty decent spot with the rest of the league to go up against. What, what adds a wrinkle to this season is in some ways, I think the roster has an ability to get better after opening day. We're going to see Brendan Davis at some point. Maybe it's in May, maybe it's in June. You put him in the mix, we can play some center field. You see how the roster can be better. Conversely, what we just said about five minutes ago, Wilson may not be around bunch of these relief pitchers may be traded to get some pieces back at the trade deadline. So that will be worth watching. I think if this is going to be a good year, they have to get off to a good start. They've got to come out of the gate hot. They got to be winning baseball games. Then maybe you put yourself in a position to be adding as you get into the middle of the year, you start taking pieces away pretty easy to see how this could get to 90 losses, just like last season. Yeah. I, I can't see them adding 
at any point. I just don't think even the highest percentile outcomes of this roster put you in a position to be super competitive to the point where you would take pieces out of your farm system right now to add what's available at midseason. Not to say that everybody who is in the Cubs farm system is being treated as a future Cubs major leaguer. You, you add to your farm system so you have those chips to trade. I just have difficulty seeing them taking out of that bank account of, of talent this season for whatever might be available at the deadline. I could see them surprising, especially if you have a guy like Caleb Killian who continues to double or develop in the minor leagues. And maybe you find yourself in a position where you're not as bad as you thought and you need a young starting pitcher to come up and help bolster the rotation. And maybe things get interesting from there. I don't see this team being in a position to add at the deadline. I think at the most optimistic, they would be in a position to not subtract at the deadline. I, I like. I, I think it depends. I think that you know. I, I I I don't like. I said before. I think this is like a as currently constructed, a mid seventies win team. So that's my expectation of, for the team. But you know, like if they get off to a hot start as this as is key and don't actually tank in late June yeah. uh, as they did last year, uh, you know there could be the position where you have six wild card or could be six playoff spots now. You could be fighting for a playoff position. I, are they going to go and trade for like a major piece in terms of like, you know, somebody huge uh, rental? No, definitely not. But are there smaller pieces that you would think could kind of bolster the roster that you're in a position to kind of make a playoff spot? I, I would see them doing that. Uh, or to be honest, like, let's say they're in that position and there's a guy out there that you can get multiple years of. I would think you would also do that. But, you know, I, I want to say Jed did this, before in San Diego in like 2010, they kind of got off to a, maybe it was 2009. They kind of got off to like a surprising start and the Padres were kind of in it. And people were like, Oh, the Padres. And they, they made a couple small trades and added to the Padres. And then they faltered down the stretch. I, it didn't really help enough, but they did add. And I, I just, I, you know, you can see, you could always see like another bad off the bench, another uh, guy. And I, so who knows? I, I just wouldn't rule anything out. I don't think they would obviously be major players to move a lot, a ton of pieces. Cause I don't really think they're going to fight for the division. Although, you know, Jack Flaherty's out for the Cardinals. They yeah. Alex Reyes, although I don't not big Alex Reyes proponent, he's out for the Cardinals. So who knows what's going to go on with other teams. Yeah. Milwaukee's tough. And they just added a vet of the division here, McCutcheon into the mix as well. So Clearly the Brewers are the front runners. Cubs need a hot start though. If there's going to be any chance of this getting interesting, uh, even with the extra playoff spot, if you just get the sense, the margin for error for this team is very small and God forbid Hendricks isn't good or Stroman has some health concerns. Like there's a big question mark in that starting rotation. Uh, three areas. I think the Cubs are considerably better than they were last year. And I do think they're better in the rotation. Couldn't get much worse than what they rolled out last season. Right field is going to be a significant upgrade. Second base is going to be a significant upgrade. And um, I just like what they're doing with the bullpen. I do not think the bullpen is going to be a weakness for the Cubs team at this point this year. It's going to be starting pitching. And then what are we getting out of center, left, first, third? Is Willie going to be around? That's where a lot of the questions lie for me. But right field, second base, obvious upgrades over this time a year ago. I agree with you. I think right field definitely, hopefully, with Seiya Suzuki. Uh, the pitching staff. I mean, hopefully Marcus last year with pitching staff was bad. Kyle Hendricks was yeah. bad. The rest of the staff was bad. Um, I think I, there was something like three F4 all of last season. A guy like Marcus Stroman is like projected to get more of that than himself. So hopefully Kyle Hendricks comes out, performs like he has in the past. Wade Miley, you know, he's still ramping up, but I expect it to be a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think there are areas of this team that are better than last year. Well, I'm excited the next couple of days to get back to Chicago, get the marquee on, watch some of these spring training games, and let's see what happens about two and a half weeks out now from opening day. Next couple of weeks here, we got a whole bunch of predictions coming. We will do a Cubs-specific prediction show, everything from win-loss to home run leader. Jock Peterson, 40 bombs. That fun. We'll try again. We will do a Major League Baseball prediction show where we pick who wins each division, major awards, World Series, all that good stuff. Um, but I want to go back in time a little bit here as we bring this show home. It's our 61st podcast. Not many players or coaches have worn number 61 in Cubs history. I count seven in full, Randall. Who's got your attention at 6-1? Uh, who's got my attention wearing number 61? None other, than, none other than Jose Reyes. 
not the famed former Mets shortstop, but rather the brief major league catcher. He caught exactly five innings for the 2006 Chicago Cubs, everyone's favorite team. He got five plate appearances for the 2006 Chicago Cubs. Uh, he wore number 61. He was a catcher. Uh, he got some pinch hit appearances as well. And that was his only major league time. He logged no other time with the major leagues. Although entertainingly, when he was granted free agency following the 2006 season, who did he sign with? None other than the New York Mets. Uh, I don't know that he saw any significant anything with them, but they briefly had, uh, I think, two Jose Reyes, two Jose Reyes, whatever the plural of Jose Reyes is. So that's what stands out for me for number 61 is the less famous Jose Reyes. I, I think I'd have to go with Braylon Marquez uh, coming up in uh, 2020 uh, for that one spot against the White Sox where he did not really perform super well, although I do believe he did strike out Jose Abreu on a nice fastball. So, uh, you know, and hopefully Marcus is back. He's gotten COVID apparently twice. He just reported to camp. That was part of the reasons why he was out. Was he just getting over COVID again? Um, you know, hopefully he can get to a spot where maybe he's never going to be a starter. We had kind of hope we saw him maybe in like a Josh Hader role, maybe whatever, but Maybe he'll be that left end arm coming out of the bullpen and hopefully he gets back. And then the other one to me would be Alan Webster, who was the guy the Cubs wanted in the Ryan Dempster trade if the Dodgers were going to trade him. And they just could never agree on that. And then he ended up coming over on the Cubs anyways, because he kind of busted out as a top prospect. Well, not a ton of names over the years. I did want to take a minute here. Babe Phelps, the first Cub player to wear it back in 19, uh, where rather 61 back in 1933 and 1934. Player coach for the Cubs back then in the 1930s. He was a catcher, a pinch hitter, part coach, and played for the Cubs in the 1933 and 1934 seasons where he wore number 61. So uh, one of those names going way back in time. That guy was born in 1908. So if you're going to play for the Cubs, pretty good year to be born, 1908. Yeah, you know, he got to be in the last born, the last world champion. So we'll see all the Cubs in the future who were born in 2016. Well, Jeremy, I got a question for you. A lot of babies uh, that year in Chicago. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. And, <laughs> 2017, uh, 2017, I guess they would be. Certainly, yeah. because of uh, what happened then. Uh, your Illini, though, did not perform uh, up to par here, lost to a good Houston team, so their season is over. But I wanted to point something out here. Game ended. And there's a lot of different places that you could go in terms of lobbing criticism or critiques. Did you go after the players? You did not. Did you go after the head coach? Is there anything he could have done differently? You did not. You said it was a giant sham. The Illini getting screwed year in and year out with suboptimal seating. What's your case here? You're saying that this is what went wrong for the Illini? What I'm saying is the Illini got shammed two years in a row in the second round where they faced teams that were ridiculously underseated. I see. Like, if you look at top, probably maybe the top metric guy in, in college basketball, a man named Ken Pomeroy. He has his Ken Pom website. Last year, Loyola, the eighth seed, was the number 12 team in the country, according to him. Number 12, and they were an eighth seed. This year, Houston, according to his rank, ratings, the number – two team in the country when the Illini played them and they were a five seed. So my argument there, yes. And there's other metrics as well. Like there's plenty of metrics out there that rate Houston as very highly. And it just seems to me that every time we get a seed, we get shafted by playing a really good team. Loyola should not have been an eight seed. Houston should not have been a five seed. These are really good teams. Houston might beat Arizona. I mean, they're rated higher. I mean, I, they went to the final four last year. They beat Loyola last year. They might they might go back again. So, you know what? I, I'm not Big Ten champions. We won the championship. We Big Ten tournament champions last year. Underwood took this program back. Uh, hopefully Kofi comes back, but if he doesn't, I love Kofi. I love Trent. I love DeMonte. They were winners. They were, they won more games than anybody else in the Illinois basketball history. Um, you know, so I, 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 is it disappointing to not get to the second weekend when I said that was a state of goal? Absolutely. But I, it's hard when you play a really good team, in my opinion, yeah. that was underseated like Houston. And I, I don't, you know, they were just better than us that day and maybe they're better than us overall. 
Well, shame on you for allowing Kelvin Sampson to have the spotlight for another weekend. Uh, I just cringe when I hear these analysts talk about what an incredible coach he is and a great guy. Screw Kelvin Sampson forever and for always. They're all great guys, according to the announcers. Oh, for sure. sure. Um, (laughs) Bruce Pearl. Oh, yeah, right. Bruce Pearl. Uh, Chris Johns. Don't like any of them. Uh, Quick question. (laughs) Chris Johns. Uh, the odds he actually comes back. I imagine the NIL helps. Maybe he doesn't translate great to the NBA. What are we thinking? Better than 50% he's back in Champaign? Here's my concern. I'm not afraid of losing Kofi to the NBA or professional basketball like I would be in the past. I'm afraid of losing Kofi to a school like Kentucky. You know, somebody oh, else that can yeah, come back yeah. out. First of all, you have to remember last year, both of our assistant coaches, top two assistant coaches, went to Kentucky. And our third one went to Gonzaga. So we lost all three last year. Um but the guy who recruited him to Illinois went to Kentucky. Um, so I'm afraid of a school like Kentucky that, you know, probably plays kind of shady and can offer any amount of money they want. Obviously yeah. the schools technically can't offer the money, but the boosters yeah, yeah. and they can, you know, hook up, you know they'll hook up the deals behind the scenes. So that's what I'm afraid of. I think Kofi, there's a good chance he does play college basketball last year. I think obviously there's a huge chance he comes back to Illinois, but I'm afraid of some other school coming in and just offering him a ton of money. Yeah. Wow, times have changed. I mean, yeah. it's always been that way in college basketball. Well, now it's just out in the, the open. Exactly. But the transfer portal is also a huge thing, especially with the yeah. – like you wouldn't be able to transfer with the just come in and play, the graduate rule, the extra COVID year. Yeah. Well, Randall, I hope you're ready for this in person in about 24 hours. You sitting there just trying to eat your landmark sampler while Jeremy and I are fighting about college basketball and collectively bitching about Kelvin Sampson. They got rid of the landmark sampler. I'm pretty disappointed. That was a oh, real wow. solid order. You got the mini hot dogs, the mini hamburgers, the jalapeno poppers, the fries. They got rid of that. That's pretty disappointing, if we're being honest. Well, here's I will not be ordering the Coach Calipari. I can tell you that much. Because <laughs> well, I don't want him stealing Kofi. Be disappointing to either of you. I've got gifts for each of you. They have been packed. I packed yesterday. I'm way ahead of this trip here, but I got something for each of you. It's in the bag. I'll bring that home tomorrow. And uh, we'll get another show here next week. After the trip back from Chicago, keep an eye on our Twitter account at BTYL Podcast. Jeremy and I have phones with cameras in them. We've got access to the Twitter account, and we're going to be around Randall a lot over the next couple of days. So maybe we'll get some gems out on Twitter here. Uh, any you, closing thoughts, gentlemen? You, you think you have phones. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll show your good side, Randall. Make sure the fans can uh, see you for, for who you are. But. Uh, Thank you for listening again. We'll be back next week with number 62 for Jeremy Randall. This is Behind the Yellow Line. See you next time.